Good morning. Welcome to the Anchorage Unitarian Universalist Fellowships Weekly Forum for September 6th, 2020. My name is John McKay. I'll be your moderator this morning. And in a few moments, we'll hear um, a presentation from Jake Metcalf telling us about how Alaska's public employees are sticking together stronger than ever against attacks on collective bargaining rights. First, uh, light our candle to represent the light of reason, the warmth of community, and the flame of hope. And we will uh, also recognize as we come together on this late summer, I like to still think of it, of course, as late summer, uh, Sunday morning, on the ancestral lands of the Denina people that we recognize we come together from wherever we're sitting. And I know there are folks from around the state here, um, virtually or literally, on the, the uh, lands that the indigenous peoples of this um, this land never surrendered uh, the lands or their resources to the Russians or the United States. And we thank these indigenous communities who have held relationship with this land for generations and recognize the historical and ongoing legacy of colonialism as a point of reflection for all of us as we work toward dismantling colonial practices. Next week, we'll hear from someone else who's in the thick of things representing a different group of public employees, Alaska's teachers, uh, our speaker next week is Corey Aist, president of the Anchorage Education Association. We'll have a chance to hear how things are going, um, the challenges of educating our kids safely and effectively in this uh, unusual school year, which I suspect a number of you on this call know about, or at least are experiencing. Um, as you know, we give a half portion of uh, uh, the collection each month to a different uh, social action group, uh, and uh, we have a new month, September, so we'll call on Kaylin Saxton to tell us who the recipient is this month. The recipient for the half portion this month is Star Alaska, a new name for STAR that we've known and donated to for the last 40 years. Um, since uh, COVID-19, they've been able to expand the training programs that they do. Their uh, focus it now is prevention of, of sexual trauma and uh, working with victims and survivors and their families and educating all of us about ways that we can work to prevent. Um, the STAR uh, would appreciate a donation uh, because they no longer have their major fundraising that they do during the year. Uh, please go to our website, push donate, and put in Star Alaska. Thank you. Thank you, Kaylin. Here's somebody who's uh, one of the privileged ones who doesn't have to experience fear or anxiety about being sexually assaulted. When you go out for a walk or a bike ride, you might, um, or don't worry about the safety of where you're sleeping at night, and you might Thank, be thankful for that privilege and uh, donate to STAR today. And if you're somebody who's relying on their support services, um, also a good reason to support them for the, provide, for the service they've been providing for, as Kaylin mentioned, four, four decades in the last year. Um, 
And one other announcement, and then uh, if, if anybody else has an announcement, you can let me know. But um, uh, this is a tax-exempt nonprofit organization. The fellowship cannot participate in or intervene in any political campaign on behalf of or opposition to any candidate for public office. Um, and of course, the Anchorage Unitarian Universalist Fellowship has long encouraged civic engagement uh, through programs like UU the Vote, um, other activities. So with the election six, less than 60 days away, uh, you're encouraged to find ways to become engaged and support the candidates of your choice, as many of you already have. Uh, you can go to their websites, uh, find out how you can be involved in this unusual campaign season and watch today at your fellowship or contact uh, Michelle Champion to find out what's happening with you, you the vote or otherwise find a way to uh, get involved. So um, without further ado, um, I'd like to invite, uh, introduce our guest, our speaker, Jake Metcalf. Jake is the um, executive director of the Alaska State Employees Association, the state's largest public employee union of state and municipal employees. Um, he also serves as the secretary treasurer of the Alaska AFL-CIO, an organization representing 50,000 working Alaskan families. He's a fourth generation Alaskan, an attorney, former chair of the Alaska Democratic Party, former Anchorage school board president. A 1976 graduate of Juneau Douglas High School, Jake worked as a cold storage worker, a commercial fisherman, bartender, and legislative employee. After earning a BA in history from Eastern Michigan University and a law degree from Lewis and Clark, Jake was a state prosecutor in Bethel and served on the Bethel City Council. Jake became general counsel for IBEW Local 1547 in Anchorage in 2004 and served as executive director of the Public Safety Employees Association Local 803 from 2009 to 2017. He and his wife, Moira Smith, have three sons and a daughter. Uh, we're very happy to have you back with us, Jake. Um, floor is yours. Thank you, John. Um, in preparing for today, I, I was thinking of the last time I talked to um, uh, you all, and I, I remember it was, I think, right after the election, and I think I uh, followed Tuckerman Babcock um, uh, the week after he spoke, and a lot's happened uh, in, in that time. So um, I just want to give everybody a, a, a little background, but first I want to wish everybody a, a happy Labor Day weekend. I'm uh, honored to be here and uh, be able to talk about my organization and labor in Alaska um, on this weekend, which is uh, a very special weekend for, for everybody and also the end of summer. So um, I, I hope you've all had a great summer and um, uh, look forward to a um, good end of the year and uh, hopefully getting beyond the pandemic. But to get into the heart of my discussion, um, I just want to let everybody know that I am the executive director for the Alaska State Employees Association. We're part of the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, uh, and we're Local 52. We're, we're a uh, statewide local, um, which is unusual in um, and how unions operate. Most are uh, uh, in small areas. Um, most have 
uh, um, or a good number of them have a larger population of members than we do, but um, Alaska is unique in the sense that at least with our organization, it's a statewide local. And um, um, we've been around since 1987. Um, we were formed by members, were operated by our members, and um, uh, we're a democratic organization made up of, of our members. And, and just to give you a little more background, ASEA represents the general government unit of employees of the state of Alaska. We also have municipal employees at the city of Sitka and at the Fairbanks North Star Borough. Um, so primarily um, we're state, but we also have municipal public employees. Of that um, uh, group of, of workers, there are about 8,500 that we represent. Uh, we're the largest uh, state union of public employees. Um, and we um, uh, deal with public service, service workers all over Alaska. Um, we are in just about every community that has uh, state employees. Um, just to give you a little more um, specifics on that, we, we are uh, members uh, and, and Alaskans that safeguard the water, manage the natural resources, clear the roads, inspect bridges, and plan for transportation today and tomorrow. Our members protect consumers. They promote a healthy economy. They shelter our children and connect Alaska families to vital services. And ASEA members perform clerical and administrative functions that uh, an effective government requires. Our members fight fires and protect property. They take emergency calls and dispatch public safety officers for people in need. We care for all people um, in Alaska in all walks of life and ensure that they have the services they need to live with dignity and respect. Uh, and we work everywhere Alaska needs us and we pro provide the critical public services that Alaskans depend on. Um, just to give you a little background of how we came about um, and how uh, a union like ASEA operates and is governed. We are uh, a public employee union that's governed by the Public Employee Relations Act, which is in our statutes at AS 2340070. And this act was passed by the legislature in 1972. So it's just about 50 years old. Um, it was, uh, at least in my opinion, one of the um, most progressive pieces of legislation passed at a time in Alaska's history when a lot of um, good legislation, progressive legislation was passed. And I think it's really uh, helped develop our state um, and create a, a middle class for the state of Alaska. And one of the, I think, most interesting parts of that legislation um, is the declaration that the legislature drafted. And it's, it's in the statutes right now. And um, uh, I, I look at it pretty frequently in, in my job. Um, and I, I just, I think it's, 
it's important for, for people to know about it. And I, I want to read the declaration. It says that the legislature finds that joint decision-making is a modern way of administering government. If public employees have been granted the right to share in the decision-making process affecting wages and working conditions, they have become more responsive and better able to exchange ideas and information on operations with their administrators. Accordingly, government is made more effective. The legislature further finds that the enactment of positive legislation establishing guidelines for public employment relations is the best way to harness and direct the energies of public employees eager to have a voice in determining their conditions of work, to provide a rational method for dealing with disputes and work stoppages, to strengthen the merit principle where civil service is in effect, and to maintain a favorable political and social environment. The legislature declares that it is the public policy of the state to promote harmonious and cooperative relations between government and its employees and to protect the public by assuring effective and orderly operations of government. These policies are to be effectuated by one, recognizing the right of public employees to organize for the purpose of collective bargaining, and two, requiring public employees to negotiate with and enter into written agreements with employee organizations on matters of wages, hours, and other terms and conditions of employment. And three, maintaining a merit system principles among public employees. Um, I, at least it's, it's my opinion that PARA has been a huge success for the state of Alaska. Employee relations have gone well under PARA since 1972. Um, and it, in, in my experience, um, I think that's evident by, by the fact that there have been uh, very few strikes of state employees. Uh, we've had a, a good system of working with the employer to uh, uh, deal with labor relations and disputes. And that was true up until um, late 2018 and early 2019. Things have changed under the Dunleavy administration and um, I think that's, that's a uh, problem and something that we're having to deal with. And it's made my life very busy for, um, for at least the last three years. Um, and I, I can talk a little bit about just what's happened. Um, things changed for public employees uh, in June of 2018. And that's when our United States Supreme Court changed 40 years of precedent when it came to how uh, public employee unions operated. And in, on June 27th, the Supreme Court issued what is known as the Janus decision. Um, and that was a case involving our international union. Uh, an employee sued our international union. He had been an agency fee payer and I'll get to the meaning of agency fee payer, but, uh, but that, uh, that suit and the decision that followed has, has made a big difference in, in how uh, we operate. And I'll give you a little more background on that. Um, the Janus decision made one change, um, and that was public employers could not deduct 
agency free fees from non-union members' wages. And a union uh, couldn't collect agency fees from a, a non-union member without the employee's affirmative consent. So just to give you a little more background on that, um, prior to 2018, uh, when you became a public employee and you had a union representing you in the workplace, you, ha uh, you had a choice of becoming a member or becoming an agency fee payer. And an agency fee payer um, basically only paid a portion of their union dues that was for collective bargaining and for representation purposes. Um, so um, prior to Janus, unions like ASEA would have to do an audit and determine how much uh, money they spent um, from all their revenues on collective bargaining and representation purposes. And then the money that was um, <clears throat> spent on other things was deducted from that. Uh, and so a percentage of your fee uh, uh, was, was what agency fee payers had to pay rather than the full amount of dues. So um, here's what the Janus decision meant for non-union members. Employees who were non-members uh, and were paying agency fees uh, could choose to become a dues-paying member or they could choose to not pay any fees to the union for collective bargaining or representation and they still get to receive the benefits of collective bargaining and union representation. So um, just to give you a little example um, close to home, uh, at the time of Janus, ASEA had about 10% of its members that were agency fee payers. So when J uh, Janus' decision came out in, on June 27th of 2018, um, those 10% 10, 10 agency fee payers uh, of our immediately became non-members non unless they signed up to be a member. Um, so, um, so we, at that point, lost about 10% of our membership. Um, and it, of course, had an immediate impact on our revenues because we, we um, um, operate on, on the dues that our members pay. And so, um, so it was pretty significant. Um, and right now, in the last two years, we've had a, a, probably another 10% of membership drop um, or not become members. Um, and um, and th that's um, uh, due in, in some cases to the fact uh, of COVID uh, because we no longer have the ability to um, um, go to work sites. Um, we have social distancing issues to deal with. And uh, a large part of our, our membership is now operating by telework. So we have less, less face-to-face -face access with our members. Um, and a big, a big part of our um, ability to talk to members um, uh, before COVID was we would, we would meet with members one-on-one. -on -one. We would have means um, to talk about uh, membership at ASEA and the benefits that you get from being a uh, member of ASEA. And so that, that's been reduced and that's been a challenge to us. But in many ways, and um, what I'm, I'm happy to talk about is uh, while, while Janus um, reduced our membership to a, um, to a, um, 
level that we didn't have before. It made ASCA, I think, a much better organization and a much better union. We, uh, we knew that Janus was coming because um, we saw how the Supreme Court changed. We saw that the case was coming up through the federal court system. And um, uh, you know, we, we were predicting what happened uh, would happen. And so um, in preparation for that, we really started to organize our membership. We, we weren't exactly sure what was going to happen, but we knew we wanted to um, keep our membership. And um, so we started organizing more. And I, and I think prior to Janice, um, uh, we hadn't had to really work hard to do that. We were more focused on um, organizing new members. Um, so Janice made us focus on our current membership and new membership um, and, and focus on people who weren't members. And so we've spent a lot of time prior to Janice and now um, most of our time um, trying to service our membership, trying to educate our membership. Um, and we've been really focused a lot prior to COVID on door-to-door -door campaigning where we go to our members' homes um, and our non-member homes to talk to them. We you know, telephone our members, uh, we hold worksite meetings. Um, uh, and now, um, because we don't have the person-to-person -person contact that we had in the past, we're doing a lot of Zoom meetings um, and trying to um, uh, come up with as many new technologies as possible to contact our members and talk to them, find out what issues uh, they're having in the workplace um, and, and how we can help uh, with, with enforcing our contracts and taking care of our members in the, in the workplace. Um, and so that's made us, I think, a much, much better union in the sense that we're really getting out, finding out what's happening. Um, we're dealing with issues our members have um, and they know who we are and uh, they they also learn about their contracts and their rights in the workplace. Um, but now to get back a little bit to sort of what's really happening with us, um, uh, there has been um, a, a lot of um, uh, action under the Dunleavy administration. Um, they have uh, had a different opinion of, of the Janus decision than we've had. Um, and I think they see it as an opportunity to um, hurt all public employee unions. And so they've tried to take advantage of, of that. And so we've had to go both on the offense and the defense with the law um, and with our contract and make sure that uh, we enforce agreements that we have. Um, and just to give you a, a little background on what's happened since uh, 2018, 2019, not long after the Dunleavy administration came into office in December, um, there was some immediate action um, at the Alaska Psychiatric Institute to privatize that hospital. Um, and um, uh, the Dunleavy administration brought in a, a, a large um, international corporation under a sole source contract to operate API. The, the corporation was called WellPath. 
um, they uh, were going to basically uh, come in and, and take over the, the whole operation of the hospital. Um, we uh, didn't know about that um, until after the fact. Um, we learned about it, uh, that there was something going on in, in late January of 2019. In early February of 2019, the Dunleavy administration announced that they had entered into a contract. Uh, we looked at our um, collective bargaining agreement with the state and um, uh, we had language in there that prevented um, uh, privatization of uh, public uh, facilities that where our members did the work um, uh, without, um, uh, 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 let me go back, it, there, was the, there was the opportunity to privatize, but our contract had a clause that required a certain process to take place, which included notice to us, which included a feasibility study. Feasibility study looked at whether or not it made economic sense to privatize the state facility. Um, and uh, we realized that that section of our contract had been violated and none of the um, um, agreements that we made had been followed. And so we ended up um, having to go to court um, and sue over that. Um, we sued over the procurement process that was followed. Um, we you know, believed that, uh, that had not followed state procurement laws. Um, that case is still in litigation. And um, one thing, though, and I think it was a, a major victory for us, is that WellPath, the company that had entered into the sole source contract, um, is no longer at API. They left this summer. Um, we're still in a process, though, where the state is looking at privatizing API. Um, they have uh, done a feasibility study um, after the fact, and um, that feasibility study came out earlier this year. Um, there, were, uh, there were issues with that feasibility study. Um, we are involved in a process with the API governing body where we have uh, talked and testified